Good morning. Go Niners. <laughs> Debbie can try to stay like, you know, on the fence or, or pleasing both, and then I'll just get up here and say, go Niners. Um, hey, you know, how could we approach this morning? I was thinking about that, though. We could approach this morning as the pregame show. Is that how we want to approach this morning? As the pregame show? Or is that football game later the post-worship show? Because what comes first is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are here together. Here we are. I see you. I think you may see me. Here we are together. It is good to be here together, isn't it? It is. It is for me as well. Uh, I love being here. This is where we get together as a church family. This is where we point one another to Jesus. And in the times that are joyous and celebratory, we enjoy being here together. And in the times that are difficult, let's enjoy being here together. Um, this is where we sing songs and are reminded of our identity in Christ. This is where I weep before the Lord moments ago, thankful that my identity is as his beloved son. And I look around at each of you and pray that you would find your value and your identity in Jesus alone. And that it's him to who you would look to. And him where you would find all that you need. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be here as a church family. Those in Christ are your sons and daughters, loved by you, guided by you, helped by you, forgiven by you, carried along by you, and we thank you. And we thank you for an opportunity to be together with church family, a gathering of fellow followers of Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ that that spur us along, that point us to you, that help us in ways we need. God, we pray that we would be conduits of your love to one another. We pray that we would be proclaimers of the good news here and outside of here, not because of, of earning, not because of needing to please you or match up, but God, would we be lovers and proclaimers of the good news out of thankfulness for what you have done and because we want you to get all the glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. None of those were planned comments. I could just step down. Or I could keep going with some of the things that are in front of me as more planned comments. Uh, I'm not sure. It doesn't sound like my voice is showing it quite as much at the moment. But at the, uh, a few minutes ago in conversation with some of you, a few of you said, what's going on? Coming off of a cold? And I feel like I've done this introduction to sermons before at this time of year, where I've had to say, nope, believe it or not, it's not a cold. It actually has much more to do with basketball than a cold. It has to do with the fact, oh, there it comes, now I feel it. Um, it has to do with the fact that in our household this time of year, you know, I, uh, Friday night involved watching two basketball games. My day off Saturday included uh, four basketball games, including coaching two. And uh, I tend to be somewhat enthusiastic as a coach, as you may imagine, and thus my voice is often exercised prior to my vocational ministry endeavors and love of bringing God's word to you on Sunday morning and having to speak some more. So uh, here it comes. Uh, many of you know it's my joy to be an assistant basketball coach for my daughter, uh, 
Mia's eighth grade girls basketball team. I love basketball. I, I enjoy having a hobby. It's important for me to have an outlet. Uh, I enjoy making connections in our community, and uh, I enjoy being connected to my family in that way. Um, but, I had a, uh, but as I often do this time of year, it, basketball gives me something to think about as I prepare to preach, and I was thinking about basketball, team sport or individual sport? Team sport, obviously. There's, you may have heard the cheesy phrase, there's no I in team, right? It, kind of that expression of, hey, this is what a team sport is about. This is what working as a team is about. Is It's not about I. It's not about individual. It's not about worrying about self. It's about what can be gathered together, put together for the sake of the team. And um, last weekend, I just, I, we had a, a blast as a team and just a fun example of, of team success, of team effort. We, you see, we thought we had this opportunity to reach a goal of ours. We had a goal to make it to the state tournament and, and to earn our way into playing in the state tournament in a few weeks. And this goal has been before this team. And we looked ahead at this week, uh, this tournament, we were, this smaller tournament we were playing in and thought, this is our chance. This is our chance to earn a ticket to the state tournament. And then as we got closer to that tournament, it turned out that two of our players, two starting players, were injured and out for the weekend. But there's no I in team, right? We could have, so those players could have responded dejected because they don't get to participate and that taken away from their team experience, but they didn't. The other players could have, could have reacted, well, now our team doesn't have as good of a chance and they could have reacted that way, but they didn't. Coaches could have looked at the weekend and said, oh, maybe this isn't when we're going to win our state tournament bid, but we didn't. We discovered uh, together that we're better together, that when everybody steps up, that when everybody plays a part, the Dallas Dynamite 8th grade girls basketball team last weekend won all four games, won the tournament, and earned their bid to the state tournament. All, yeah, super fun. And, and all, all, you know, supposedly without a couple of key cogs, because a team is a team. There's no I in team. And, uh, and we at Faith Church have been studying God's word passage by passage, chapter by chapter, through the Bible book called 1 Corinthians, a letter written from a church leader named Paul to a town called Corinth, the, the Christians there. And we've been plodding our way through this book for weeks and months because that's the way we do it here. We teach God's word. We pick a book generally. We, there's exceptions to this, but generally we pick a, a, a book of God's word and we get in it and we plow through it passage by passage because we're not asking what man has to say to us. We're asking what God has to say to us through his word each week. So as we've done that, we've been discovering that we as a church family are better together as well, that it's important for us to be all in, that it's important for each of us to recognize that we have something to contribute to our church family. So open your Bibles if you haven't already and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start reading at verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll start reading at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. 
But if someone says to you, oh, this meat has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So let's actually start with um, perhaps if you've been in this scripture before, if you've had the time to study the Bible uh, here or there, hopefully you do each day in your, in your life following Jesus, but perhaps the verse that's most familiar there is chapter 10, verse 31. Perhaps that's a, a, a you may know that to be a well-quoted verse. You may have come across that before. So let's start with this well-known verse, this imperative, this command uh, in God's word, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what we want to talk about this morning, that as followers of Jesus, every aspect of our lives has the potential to honor God. Every aspect of our lives. The things we do, the things we say, the things we think, our, our actions, our body language, our posture, whatever. Everything that we do, our activities, our hobbies, our work, our school, everything we do, every aspect of our life has a potential to honor God. What does it mean in verse 31 when it says, do all to the glory of God? What is glory? And we've, we've kind of skewed glory a little bit depending on how we've used it or what context we use that word in, but, but let's focus this way for today, that glory is public praise, honor, and fame. And so if we're gonna give if we're going to glorify something, if we're going to give glory to it, then that's, sorry, I, yeah. If we're going to glorify something, we're going to give glory to it. To glorify something also is to kind of shine a bright light on it. To glorify something is, is also to light it up brilliantly, to, to, to show it to everyone, to make it seen, to make it beautiful, to glorify it, to give it honor and public praise and fame. And verse 31 should challenge our view of worship. It should challenge our view of, of where giving glory can happen. Because if we're not careful, we think of giving glory as when we come together on Sunday morning for an hour and, and sing songs. Yes, we're giving glory to God. But verse 31 is reminding us that we can take those limits off of how glory is given, right? It's not that glory is given in this one way or this one way, but verse 31 is telling us we can take the limits off of how and where we give glory. Instead of only thinking that glorifying God is, is in one particular way, instead, let's, let's, let's think on this today, let's think on this this morning, that we are to live all of our lives, every aspect of our life, even ordinary activities 
What ordinary activities are listed in verse 31? Even, even the ordinary activities of our lives, like eating and drinking, we, can, we should live those in a way that publicly praises the great God who made us. That our everyday lives, that everything we do in life can bring honor to him and make him famous. Why would we want to do that? Because the gospel has eternal significance. What's the gospel? We often define the gospel around here as the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is good news that God rescues sinners from hell and death and, and sin and brings them out of death and into life and out of the darkness and into light. The gospel is good news and it has eternal significance because you and I are rescued and made right with the holy and perfect God. The gospel has eternal significance and so our lives have an opportunity to point to that incredible significance. Our lives have, God wants to use every part of us, every, every way in which we behave to give glory to him and to point to the good news that Jesus has brought to us by way of the cross. The way we live our lives is to point to the greatness of God, to make the beauty of God light up brilliantly to those around us. There's an author, a pastor, commentator I studied this week who says that we need to, when we give glory, when we consider how we give glory to God, there can be both uh, vertical aspects that we certainly give glory directly to God, but there are also in some ways, and this is what this passage I think is about this morning, horizontal ways of giving glory to God. That as we, that as we care for those around us, that as we interact in God, uh, godly fashion with those around us, we are also giving glory to God. Vertical giving glory and horizontal. Look at verse 23. Now I'm back to the top of the passage. Verse 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. The passage we're in is, is tying together really the last three chapters of this letter, 8, 9, and 10. The, this passage that we're studying this morning is kind of tying together threads of thought that have been going on through this letter. And that's why it's important to study God's word passage at a passage chapter at a chapter, and to see what he's doing uh, through the course of the letter. And so again, the author here, Paul, quote, seems to be quoting the Corinthians. This, this, this quote, all things are lawful, seems to be something that the Corinthians kind of keep throwing at him. Hey, well, everything's okay for me. I can do that. And we've seen this quoted uh, a couple times previously in the letter. They're excited what it is, is the Corinthians are excited about their newfound freedom that they have found in Christ. Because see, legalism, religious rule keeping, would have them not eat meat, this meat that's in the example in this passage for a certain reason. Legalism, trying to please God by following a bunch of rules, would have them not eat the meat. But they are excited in their newfound freedom, free from religious earning of God's grace and his love. Now, they're not free from, from God's moral laws, his ethics. There's a, there's a sense of right and wrong that is absolutely true and based in God's very character. They're not free from that. But free from religious rule-keeping, free, free from, from point system, pleasing God by a point system, 
And the Corinthians are excited about this freedom. And so they're going, hey, all things are lawful. I'm free in Christ to do this. Now, Pastor Matt's sermon, the last sermon of the last decade, Pastor Matt's sermon, the last sermon at Faith Church in the last decade. Uh, If you were here at the end of December, Pastor Matt preached um, uh, chapter eight of this letter, and I was out of town, and I have to say, I finally listened to it. Where's Matt? I listened to it, brother. I listened to it this week. Excellent job. Thanks for teaching us from God's word. I thought I should listen to it this week since we're back to that topic again, right? I better hear what Pastor Matt had to say. And he taught us in chapter 8 about what's going on with this meat situation, that there was this meat that was being sacrificed to idols. And so these early Christians thought, man, that meat's been sacrificed to false gods. I I, I probably should have nothing to do with that meat. And so the Christians weren't sure, should we eat the meat or not? And on one hand, their knowledge led them to a good realization. Their, their knowledge, their seeking God for wisdom, helped them to think, okay, well, let's see. These idols, they're not actually gods. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a god besides the one true God. So this meat, it's been sacrificed to nothing. So nothing weird has happened to the meat. So they did some good thinking with God's wisdom and thought, and their religion, I mean, their their knowledge got them to the point where they thought, you know what, nothing's wrong with the meat. I can go ahead and eat the meat. All things are lawful for me. And yet what I love that Pastor Matt pointed out to us about that passage a couple chapters back is that 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 knowledge is important. But what he emphasized that day, what God's word emphasized that day was that love is even more important that that knowledge gave them the ability to know, you know what, nothing's wrong with that meat. I can eat that meat. But more importantly is to live in love toward those around us. Look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. There's no I in team. This is an opportunity for teamwork. This is an opportunity to not just think of self. This is an opportunity not just to think, oh yeah, I'm free to eat that meat. That rule doesn't apply to me. I have freedom in Christ. Those things may be true. But here's an opportunity to be a good teammate, to put the team's goal, the team's well-being, our family, our church family's well-being ahead of of one person. Verse 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his own neighbor. Matt emphasized back in chapter 8 about the fact that this thread of love runs through this letter to the Corinthians, that knowledge can puff us up if we're not careful, that knowledge can puff us up, but that love builds up. And last week, Bruce reminded us how closely tied those two aspects of the great commandment are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he reminded us that we sometimes think of them separately and he reminded us how closely tied they are that our love for God is actually results in loving others. That our love for God is very much seen in our love for others. So what questions do we ask ourselves this morning along those lines? Where do we ask God to evaluate our lives? What, where do we, where, what questions could we pose to ourselves right now that the Holy Spirit might use to help us reflect on what he wants to do in our lives? 
in the situation I'm in, whatever that is for you, in the situation you're in, in the circumstances you're in, in the relationships you're in, how can we take the best interests of our fellow Christians into mind? Because there's no I in team. I want to make choices not based on just what's okay for me, but how can I take the best interests of my fellow Christians into mind? And how can I keep the whole Christian community in mind, not just what works for me? Am I, in what I'm doing, in what I'm saying, in how I'm acting, in where I'm going, in how I'm doing my schoolwork, in this hobby, in my eating, in my drinking, am I building up the family of God? And so we have this example in this passage, even though, even though it was taught back in chapter 8, we come to it again here in verse 25, this, this example of the meat. And we don't, maybe in our day and age, we don't relate to this question of meat sacrificed to idols, but try to listen here for the points that we can apply to our lives and the way we make decisions and the way we follow God, okay? Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's, And the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So there is freedom. There is individual freedom in this area. There are many things that in Christ we are free to do, to participate in. We are free from this religious rule keeping to please God. So in this example, in our passage, there is freedom of the individual in this area. There's no need to refrain from eating it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no need to object to someone else eating it or to, or to eating it yourself based on conscience because you know what, was, what it was used for. There's no need for this to distract you from building a relationship with a non-believer. I love this part of the passage. It says, hey, if an unbeliever invites you over and it's saying, hey, there's no need here in this particular thing to have that distract from the more important work of demonstrating God's love to this person who is far from Jesus. I have freedom in Christ, and I don't want this to take away or to, to this nitpicky rule-keeping, this drawing attention to a small thing, to take away from my opportunity for God to love this person through me. But there is a situation where perhaps believers in Jesus should refrain. All things are lawful but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There is a situation here where maybe a follower of Jesus should not eat the meat, verse 28. But if someone says to you, hey, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. In other words, it's appropriate to curb my freedom It's appropriate at times to curb my freedom for the sake of the other, for the sake of the weaker brother. Verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? In other words, yeah, I don't make decisions based on what others think, but I am prepared to do whatever other believers, uh, others believe is right if that will ensure they continue to grow spiritually. Because what do we want for this person? They object. They're concerned about where the meat came from. We may disagree. We may think there's nothing wrong with it. We may know it's okay to eat, but it's bothering them. 
And because we, do, we put ourselves aside and we put the best interests of the community in front, then, then, then we say, you know what, I'm going to curb my freedom for the sake of the weaker brother. I'm, I'm prepared to do whatever I need to do to ensure that this person continues to grow spiritually. Is that our perspective? And then we come to verse 31 again. So, whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Remember, what was glory? Public praise, honor, and fame. Whether you eat or drink, church family, whatever you do, faith church, do all to the glory, to the public praise, to the honor, to the fame-making of the God who created you. Instead of a player on a team seeking their own glory, put team first. Instead of us overemphasizing or claiming our own freedoms, let's ask God to help us do all that we do, do everything we do, live every aspect of our life for his glory. So what situation do you find yourself in today where we could apply some of these things? Where, what situation do you find yourself in? What situation do I find myself in this very moment, these days, where we could focus on making sure we, that we have a couple options? That we could make sure, we could focus on that we get the glory. That people like us, that people see us, that people understand us. Or what situation are we in where we could ask for God's help to make sure that people see God and give him all the glory. Because that's what our tendency is in our lives, isn't it? As we interact with people and we go through situations and we find ourselves in different circumstances, we're, consider, we're concerned about self. We naturally are. It's our sinful nature. We, we think, how can I preserve myself here? How can I uh, protect a reputation? How can I make sure that I am seen and, and, and all that and, and, that, and that I come through this okay? Or... We could, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Verse 33 says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. There's a ton right there in verse 33. Just in verse 33, look at those different phrases and look at what we could pull out of there. Instead of claiming or fighting or clinging for my own rights, how do we look to help and please and serve and care for others? Instead of seeking what is beneficial for me, what fulfills me, how do I seek the advantages, what is best for many? Instead of being preoccupied with my own status with God, how might God want to use me to help others be rescued by Jesus? And verse, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Paul writes, Be imitators of me. As I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Instead of, here's Paul giving us a great example. Instead of boosting my own reputation, instead of trying to make myself impressive so that you, people want to follow me, Paul could have tried to do this or do that and drawn people to himself. Instead, he says, I am imitating Jesus. You can imitate me. Instead of boosting our own reputation, how can we? Rely on Jesus, striving by his grace to imitate him. 
Why would we do that? Why would we imitate Jesus? Because that glorious good news we talked about earlier. Why would we imitate Jesus? Because he is the ultimate example of setting himself aside, his own comfort, his own preferences aside, suffering for us so that you and I could live. Why would we imitate Jesus? Because he's the ultimate example of in whatever he did, living to the glory of God. If Jesus living out the glory of God, if Jesus living out the in whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, if Jesus in living it out, what it looks like to glorify God in his life, went to the cross, was beaten and killed, then I'm pretty sure you and I in whatever we do can strive to point to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And I think it's gutsy of Paul here in verse, in verse one. I think this is so gutsy of a thing to say. I mean, can you imagine writing or saying this to other followers of Jesus? Hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I just feel like it's gutsy of him. You know what, though? He's saying, I think this is great. I think Paul is saying, as a follower of Jesus, he knows that he is filled by the Holy Spirit, God himself living within him. I think Paul is confident that he can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know why I think he can be confident and tell us that? Because it's not him. It's God living in him. It's God living in him, the Holy Spirit empowering in him, dwelling him, and transforming him from the inside out, making him a new person, giving him a new heart, new mind, new desires, new everything. And he's so stoked about it, and he knows it's not him, and it's not for his glory, that he wants to share it with everybody. And so because the Spirit lives within him, he says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And then the people around Paul would have had to reckon with something. The people around Paul would have had to reckon with that. Imitate him as he imitates Jesus. Am I, am I going to follow this guy? Is, is Paul worth following? Is, is the words that he wrote in my Bible worth reading? Perhaps those that were listening to Paul considered his life. Did Paul's life, his words, his actions, demonstrate love for others? Or did his words, actions, words reflect self-promotion self-preservation. And we have an opportunity to ask ourselves the same questions. Do our lives demonstrate love for others? Or do our lives, actions, words reflect self? And the people listening to Paul and considering whether they should imitate him as he imitates Christ could have, would have looked at his life. And perhaps they asked the question, does Paul's life indicate being led by the Spirit of God? Or self-led? And what about us? Are my words and actions, you can ask yourself this, are your words and actions, I can ask myself this. We can do this, we can wrestle with this question, we can ask the Spirit to search our hearts and to show us the way forward. Are my words and actions indicative of someone who is indwelled and guided by the Holy Spirit? Or are we directed and conformed to the ways of the world? What a way, what a way to use our freedom in Christ. Listen to this. What an opportunity we have to use the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Being free from ourselves, 
What if we use that freedom to glorify Jesus? What if empowered by the Holy Spirit, we live out the ways of Jesus? What if we imitate Jesus? What if we shine the light on Jesus? What if our words and our actions, even the everyday things of our life like eating and drinking, what if it's all to the glory of God so that the light shines brilliantly on the one who lived and died and rose again? so that you and I can find life in him. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word together. We thank you, Father, for the gift it is to be able to gather together, to be encouraged by brothers and sisters. We thank you for the gift it is to have your word, your written word in our hands, to hear from you, to study. But God, even more than that, I thank you that Paul could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I thank you that it was true of Paul as a follower of Jesus, that he was filled by the Spirit, and it wasn't him, but the Spirit working in him. And God, I praise you and thank you that that is true for all followers of Jesus in this room today, that those who have entrusted their lives to you, who have come, come to the end of self and realized we can't rescue ourselves, we can't forgive ourselves, we can't match up to the greatness of God on our own, but God, as we've entrusted ourselves to Jesus, as we've surrendered our life and submitted our life to following him, that you have rescued us from sin and death, that you have empowered us and indwelled us with your spirit, with God himself living within us. So God, we pray that our lives in whatever we do would be all to your glory, not because of us, but because of you living in us. For me and for each person here, God, would we increasingly submit to the empowering presence of Jesus in our life. Would our lives be increasingly changed into the image of Christ? Would our lives be increasingly fruitful in the work that God wants to do in those around us? God, we give ourselves to you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our, the everyday aspects of our lives. Use us as you see fit. And help us to glorify you in every way. In the way we give, in the way we sing, in the way we pray, in the way we hug our church family in a few moments. God, in each, in each and every aspect of our lives, would we give glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.